Praise the Lord. Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Switch to the New King James Version. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? The whole desire and need of mankind is not merely to take a step on the surface of the sphere we call the moon. Small step for man, a giant leap for mankind, as the first man on the moon stated when they landed there. No matter what footprint man may leave in the universe, even if it were possible for a space vehicle to reach unto the end of space, or the ends of space, he still hasn't found what he's looking for or arrived. Every human being desperately needs to know that he or she will end up in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was known as the tabernacle of the Lord, which was a precursor to the temple of the Lord. And these were replicas or miniature versions of the temple in heaven. There's a pattern God showed Moses. And then the Lord says, when the heavens and the earth pass away with a fervent noise, a loud noise and fervent heat. God said in Revelations that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Where is the Lord's tabernacle? And a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven to be in the new earth. And God will come down himself. Not just the sun who will come in the clouds of glory, who will rapture those who belong to him and come to judge. God the Father himself will come down and it's written that he will make his dwelling place with man. Where God lives is where we want to live. We want to be with him. And how do we get access to be with God? We can have access passes to attractions in this world, to exhibits, to exclusive events and be with VIPs and have all kinds of special privileges, access to this or that or the other thing. There may be fees involved. There may be obligations to fulfill access to the living God, to live with him as requirements as well. The psalm of David, as it's written here, a psalm of the man who would prophesy about the Messiah. And among the few in the scriptures who would have that special revelation centuries before Jesus came regarding 
the suffering Messiah as well as the triumphant King Messiah. And this man David who knew about Jesus through revelation from the Holy Spirit knew that blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, as he says in a later psalm. And in Psalm 51, Lord, purge me with hyssop. Lord, you can make me clean and whiter than snow. I need you to do the purging. The same David who wrote Psalm 22, Psalm 110, another psalm speaking of the life, the death, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and the return and triumph of the Lord who would come, as written in Psalm 2, to take over the dominion God the Father has prepared for him, that he will dash to pieces his enemies as a potter dashes a pot or one who dashes the pots, clay pots. This is the God to whom we come and how shall we come? How can we abide in his tabernacle? How can we have access to come into his tent? To come into the home of God, to dwell with God, to be in his heaven. How can we have the access? Who has the right to dwell in the holy hill of the Lord. There are many mountains people will climb. And the famous one is Mount Everest. It's a tremendous feat to be able to manage the altitude with the great dearth of oxygen as the climb gets higher and higher or the climber ascends. The accomplishment and to plant a flag, whether on the moon or on the highest mountain or among the highest mountains on the earth, to go to the depths and the heights of human achievement is, after all, utter emptiness, no matter what we do, what we try. If we cannot live with God, both now and forever, we've missed everything. Everything is in vain. Everything is a letdown. We have a secret of this access to live with the living God. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Who? Verse 2 begins the answer. He who walks uprightly. In other words, the one whose walk is blameless and works righteousness does the right thing and speaks the truth in his heart. These three parts of verse 2 talk about the three areas that God is looking at. The one whose walk is blameless, lifestyle, the one whose actions are correct, correct in the eyes of God, the one whose imagination and thoughts 
are true before the living God. This trilogy of compatibility with the Most High God. In other words, no one may dwell with God. No one has access to God who's not honest. No one. No matter what they have, what degree they can even study religion, they can quote the scriptures. If they're not honest in their hearts, they cannot live with God, no matter what they boast about knowing about God. The one who's blameless, the one who does what is right. And it goes on to say, he who does not backbite with his tongue. Some versions have this as slander. The one who doesn't tear people down with the tongue, who doesn't accuse, who doesn't gossip. All the words that we can speak, they can either bring us close to God or keep us far from God. Because God is a God of truth and he's a God of love. Slander has no compatibility with the presence of God. Those who slander will not be able to live with God. The one who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his or her heart. Do we qualify? Do we have the all access pass to live with God? It's plainly stated here. What is our answer? Have we been walking in a manner that is blameless before the Most High God? Have we been doing that which is right with our hands, with our transactions, in our conversations? Or are we hiding the truth? Living a lie? Are we speaking the truth in our hearts? Often people can do that which seems to be right and good externally and receive favor and receive commendation and approval from people. But God said, I'm a God who sees right into the heart. Do you have truth in the heart? It's important to have a blameless outside, to walk right before people. After all, the scripture says by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, make sure you have all things honest in the sight of man. Do the right thing externally. That's what it means to work righteousness. Do the right thing. It's not about man's standards. It's about what God says. And along with that, he says, one who doesn't slander, who doesn't talk things that they, he or she ought not to talk about other people secretly and gossip. The person that doesn't do evil to his neighbor the one who doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. It's talking about betrayal. These three components of verse 3 are speaking of betrayal, deception, hypocrisy. How the word of God is a mirror to expose the human heart. The word of God is living and active. It's written in Hebrews 4.12. Living and active. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. And it pierces. To divide the soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. 
right into the depths of a person's being. And it is a discerner. It is a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart of man. That's how the word given by God can scan us to show what's in our heart, our hearts. And we can know whether we're approved. We have a conscience, this thing called a conscience that every human being has been given. Conscience, a knowing of right and wrong. God has given that. God has given that conscience. So that we can know when we're hiding the truth. We can know whether we're living a lie or walking in a manner that's pleasing to God. Verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Is that our life story now? Do we honor the people, not the ones who blaspheme and curse, not the ones who put themselves up on a pedestal full of pride and achievement, boasting. These seem to be the people that the world flocks to. And gives honor to people who do good for themselves and boast about their achievements. People who can brag about how much money they have. What kind of material comforts they can afford. And how many people they can manipulate and how many people will bow down to them. This is what the world craves for all that is in the world. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Is not of the father, but is of the world. But the man or woman who knows God, who has access to living with God, is one who honors those who fear the Lord. At the same time, it's written, that person despises. In other words, they have no room to congratulate or honor the one who's shameful in his or her ways. The one who's departed from the truth. The one who dresses and speaks and lives a lifestyle that is devoid of anything that is honorable. The one who prostitutes himself or herself. The child of God despises that because it has nothing to do with God. See how the standards are laid out? Now, why are people confused these days? Am I supposed to show love to that person? Aren't I supposed to be loving toward the person who's violating God's will and blaspheming him and living a life that is contrary to his will? Am I not supposed to show love? Yes, but not to excuse or honor that lifestyle that is despicable in the eyes of God. But rather honor those who fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means to keep his commandments to love God and keep him as supreme in one's life. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. A person who keeps his word or her word and will not alter it. A promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Again, the conscience will show whether a person really fears the Lord and will keep his word or her word. A person doesn't have a habit of saying one thing and doing another, particularly promises to God and to other people. 
the lifestyle has changed, you see. The one who has access to living with God, both now in the spirit and in the world to come, when God comes down to live in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, all access. The one who has the right to go into the gates of righteousness, to live with God, is the one who will be holy. Further description. He who does not put out his money at usury, doesn't charge. Doesn't charge interest and seek a gain. Uh, doesn't have a habit of looking to make a gain of people when services or goods are lent. The lifestyle is typified by thinking about numero uno, number one, oneself. What's in it for me? There's no life of love. It's not a blameless life. It's a corrupt life full of greed, full of avarice. The child of God, we must look at the word of God and say, how is my life? Is it, is it more self-centered than unselfish? What do I think about? What do I dream about? Is it about more money? Is it about more comfort for me? And some say, well, it's not about me. It's about my family. Still, it has to do with me. We ought to take care of our families. We ought to be diligent, not slack. We ought to gain the maximum profit for everything we invest in. Yes, it's good. Uh, but is there more to life than that? Do I have a heart to look at the person in need, particularly, particularly those who are in the household of faith? And especially those to whom God directs, not to the one who will waste and abuse the grace, but as God directs, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is God the one who runs my finances? Or is there a private interest at stake every time I think about money? Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. The translation is you can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. The other day, I came across a very popular author. I might have shared this recently. Uh, an author who specializes in teaching about marriage. And I believe in the late 70s, he brought his idea to reach many, many people with marriage seminars. And he came across a gentleman who turned his idea into cassette tapes, into audio seminars, and eventually video seminars, and speaking engagements, and self-help guides, all disseminated, distributed throughout the world. Well, that man and the distributor became millionaires. These things were based on Christian principles. And the man who had the idea to market this may have had a, a good motive as well as the creator of that curriculum. 
in the process they became millionaires and then the man whose idea to distribute it this way was it was he began to invest heavily into starting companies and he became a multimillionaire many times over and he also wrote books about the bible one of the most famous books this man wrote was on how to have a particular guru or mentor to lead you into tremendous financial success he revealed his so-called secrets this christian man and the whole drive and thrust although having scriptural principles from proverbs and elsewhere the drive is how to make more money and the the draw was to tell people you know you don't have to be a slave to the company you can be your own boss and you can have all the financial freedom you can be free to do whatever you want to spread the gospel and spend time reading the bible you don't have to go to work and you can invest and there's some merit to that to seek to have more time to spend with god that's the most noble thing however jesus was quite busy as were the apostles paul was a tent maker and many of them they supported themselves and many of them they insisted on pioneering a work ethic that would show that they were people who gave their lives away and yet according to the scriptures there are also people who are informed by the holy spirit those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel god will provide as with the levites and the priests so the gospel preacher but the privileges were not taken on by a number of the early apostles and so there is both sides of the coin as it were there are advantages there are privileges and yet god asks this question and may we bring all of our uh, questions there's one that recently asked a question pastor or pastors is it okay to pierce my nose to have a piercing is it okay to have jewelry on my nose as on the earrings there are people who have questions is it okay to do this or that as a christian the principle of motivation is paramount in other words what is the motivating factor behind that first of all we have to search the scriptures we have to search our consciences and to see whether it is right in the sight of god we are informed of a multitude of things in this life in the scriptures whereas pagans would pierce their bodies god also is the one who said i will deck you with jewelry and earrings and rebecca was given by the servant of abraham a nose ring 
in bracelets. So we see a precedent in scripture. If a believer wants to have a piercing in the nose or the ears, it's certainly scriptural. The pagans were known to pierce other parts. And it became a mutilation of the flesh. And many pagan rituals and activities center on mutilating one's flesh and prostituting one's body. So there's a distinction between the Christian who wears an earring or earrings and the nose rings if they choose to. There's no mandatory statement in the scriptures that every believer ought to wear earrings or females wearing jewelry. There's no commandment, but we see a precedent that God delights in certain things. And he mentions it about what he does to Israel and what he will do to the bride and how heaven is adorned with jewelry. Yet the motivation is you can't serve God in money. The declaration is simple. What is your motivation? For some people, as Paul said, I will adapt myself so I may become an evangelist to all people. There's a a degree to which we can go led by the Spirit of God to become all things to all men. Hudson Taylor went to China. He broke the mold of Britishers and other people who went into the heart of the land surrounded by the Great Wall or attempted to be isolated from the rest of society on the earth. It broke into the spiritual barrier and part of it was to adopt his clothing to become as Chinese as he could so that he can blend in and let them know this is not a foreign gospel. This gospel is not from the white man or the European man. It actually came from a Middle Middle Eastern man and it's for all the world. Some would think that to pierce one's nose and to have jewelry and to adorn oneself, particularly to blend in to give the gospel to a certain people group who routinely pierce their noses and ears, we have precedent in scripture, both by principle and by explicit statements that it's all right by God. Hallelujah. If one decides, I want to beautify myself as one adorns oneself with earrings, particularly females, we have precedent in Scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a good thing, particularly when a wife or bride seeks to please the husband. We have precedent in Scripture that to an extent, the wife may please the husband and the husband the wife under God. It's a noble thing. When one considers the hygienic standards and inconveniences that may arise with choosing certain lifestyles within the scriptural parameters or certain activities such as piercing one's nose. This was a question recently posed to us. If the motivation is right, it's all right by God. If the understanding is there that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and everything I do to beautify it 
is a reflection on the living God and he's my heartbeat. Hallelujah. I want people to glorify God when they see me. How is that possible? Well, the inside has to be correct. And then the outside will be okay. Jesus said, first clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be fine. So ultimately, there's nothing wrong with wearing nose rings, particularly for females. If that's what she chooses, if that's what the husband desires, and both have agreed upon that there's peace, you see. It's not a cause of division and to show off, but to show the world that I can take care of myself, groom myself, and reflect Christ and to please my spouse. And there's peace and unity and there's an adorning and an admiration and a delight. What is the standard? Can I, going back to the example of the Christian who's an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, may I? Can I be one who would invest to develop something? The scriptures say it's a wise person that would consider the investment and seek dividends. However, it is the wise person who's not a slave to that, whose prime motivation or primary desire is not for self-gain, but to see how can I use my money and my talents all the know-how and all the expertise and knowledge I gain for the glory of God, truly, truly, for the glory of God. Why do I study and why do I work? Is it for me to look good and to blend in with the community? What is my motivation? After all, am I a Christian or a worldling, a non-Christian? Do I know Christ? Have I considered everything but loss and dung and garbage that I may win Christ and is everything I do motivated by love for Jesus and that Jesus might be made known? There's a man I came across from my own ethnic background many years ago on the secular job. And he claimed to be a believer. He's a good man, nice man, hardworking man. This Indian man said to me, uh, my brother is very good at negotiating for vehicle deals. And so I take him all the time with me. He knows how to bargain. And in the course of the conversation, he said, uh, I'm moving to another neighborhood. My brother laughed when he said, you're going to move into that neighborhood with a Honda? This was his take. He said, listen, you're a Christian and we build churches and we're a community, this particular Indian. And he said, when you move to this neighborhood, you need to understand you can't go in there with a Honda and live in a house like that. If you're going to blend in and be with the beautiful people, you need to step up your vehicle and step up your house. You need a serious upgrade, brother. Otherwise, you will be lightly esteemed by the so-called Christian community. God have mercy. What would Jesus say? He would say, hypocrite. First cleanse the inside. The outside will be okay. Don't live to impress people. Oh, do we have the disease still? This disease of the human soul? To live 
even within the Christian context to impress people and to pass their standards? Who are we living for? He who does not put out his money at usury. That man who invested and became a millionaire many times over is still at it. It seems as if he cannot get enough. Now, he may give. I'm not sure if he does, but he may give to charitable causes and Christian causes. But the whole thrust of the book was how to focus on money-making schemes. And I thought, what a devastating departure from the truth and how subtly, to many people it's subtle, but to the wise it's very overt, very obvious. This is nothing more than using Christian influence and principles, targeting Christian audiences to drive them toward self-realization, to become entrepreneurs for the sake of becoming creative and wild in the imagination. Dream big. Money, 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 money. The whole thrust was bowing down to the golden calf, as it were. We need to know and only the Holy Scriptures and the Spirit of God in our consciences that are still tender can guide us into all truth, to making sure At all times we can gauge our spiritual status before God, whether we are true to God. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. What can you buy with money? What will people not do if you give the right amount of money? If you meet the price, you can do just about anything. You can buy people. You can buy their services. People will kill for money. Total strangers. You offer them a certain price, they will go and poison people and kill people and deceive people because it means that their bank account will be swelled. The pride of gain. The man A woman of God will not only find it despicable to do such a thing, they'll utterly be afraid to do such a thing. There's no price you can meet concerning a man or woman of God to bribe them into doing anything. Will you lie at the office for a gain? Many, many things happen routinely. Will you lie to a neighbor and deceive so you can have a gain secretly? Or will you tell the truth? God have mercy. Who will abide? Who can abide? Who has the right to abide, Lord, in your tabernacle? Who can be not only neighbors, but actually live in God's house? The one who understands the prime motivations in the human heart. Why do I do what I do? Why do I want to do something new? After all, I can pretty it up. And embellish it with verses and scriptural backup and argumentation. But after all, at the heart of the matter, do I really love the Lord? Have I consulted Him? Do I want to do it for Him? Motivation is all important. Notice, he who does these things shall never be moved. 
what things? In verse 2, you have three things. In verse 3, you have another three, six. In verse 4, you have another three, nine. And in verse 5, you have another two, eleven. We spoke about lists not too long ago, how it's important for us to read. Read and say, my God, you have spelled it out. And I have the privilege of going verse by verse before the Holy Spirit. Say, my God, is this me? Is this me, Lord? Which side am I on? Lord, do I have all access to live with you? Lord, help me. I want to be found in the right by you, God, that on judgment day, I'll have an easy, abundant, wonderful entry. Because I'm not a person who takes bribes. There's no price that I'm willing to pay. Or have paid to me to do wrong. No, I'm determined not to sin against God. Lord, I won't lend seeking self-gain. Lord, I won't swear, lie, promise falsely. Lord, I won't honor the disgusting people of this world inspired by devils to be among the so-called beautiful people doing all kinds of vile things full of pride and selfishness. Those are not the people I'll honor, Lord. But I will honor those who fear the Lord. I will rather despise the others. I'll reach out in love, but I will despise that whole approach. Hallelujah. Lord, I won't talk about my friend behind his back. I won't take up a reproach or words against their character. Lord, I won't do evil and plan things to hurt, make a quick gain out of my neighbor. Lord, this trilogy, I want to be a person who walks blamelessly, blamelessly, is it, is it important to us to know that God demands blamelessness? Yes, through his holy blood, but also through the word, the washing of the water of the word. To allow the word to speak to us and cleanse us. Am I a person who's blameless? Can I be blameless? God said, yes, and you must be. I've given you a conscience. You know what is right. The more you practice the right thing, the more you'll be sensitive to know what will give you the all access to live with me forever? Lord, I want to work righteousness. I want to do the right thing with my hands, Lord. Oh God, my transactions must be right. The whole of my life must be blameless. But what I do, the things I do, the way I do my taxes and other things, Lord, it must be right in the sight of God. Not only in the right, in the sight of my CPA or my tax helper or preparer or myself. It must be right in the sight of God. And I want to speak the truth in my heart. Oh, Jesus, do you realize these are the qualities that will qualify anyone to belong to God and live with Him forever? What's the use? If we live in the mansions of this world and have everything we can desire and end up away from God in utter darkness, screaming, with agony, knowing that I had a chance when I read this psalm or heard it to get right with God. Oh, Jesus, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to be 
a Christian in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Just one psalm, a short psalm like this, Psalm 15. With only six verses, but 11 criteria clearly spelled out among many in the scriptures. Do we know how to read the scriptures? Are we able to read the scriptures? These five verses, I should say. Five verses. Five verses. Full of truth. Is it for the preacher to find a topic and to go on preaching? find insights to find it interesting or is it a matter of life and death integrity is a matter of life and death before God a person can be living and working and enjoying life be spiritually dead but God has given us a secret blessed be the name of the Lord praise be to God thank you Lord Thank you, Lord, for your truth from Psalm 15 as we continue to worship you, Lord, and go on to further truth, Lord, the message from God. Oh, our God, I thank you for showing us who may approach you. Oh, you're a holy God, and you've clearly laid out how we can approach you, Lord, and who has all access to living with you now and forever. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. I pray that everyone would take this to heart and say, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me, Lord, if there's any deviation, if there's anything lurking in the background and trying to take over my life, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, all may be put to death today that I may live for God exclusively. Everything I do will be motivated by love for God, by the word of truth. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We choose to live for you, not for money. We choose to please you, not man. We choose, Lord, to walk blamelessly, uprightly speaking the truth in our hearts, working righteousness with our hands, that we may live with you forever. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.